Can you believe? I mean, can you believe this economic roller coaster that we are on as a nation? And not just as a nation, that we are on as a world. Look, I'm not an old guy. But in all the years that I have lived, I cannot remember a time of such sustained bad news headlines, one after the other. And every new headline recreates the landscape. But I want to share with you this morning why this time of such bad news is actually the good news time for the everlasting gospel. I want to refer to you to a study done back in, in 1967, two researchers at the University of Washington School of Medicine, Thomas Holmes and Richard Ray, designed an instrument called the Social Readjustment Rating Scale. Life change units, 43 human experiences that you can go through, any one of which will significantly impact your next 12 months. Now, here's their premise. I'm quoting now. Their premise was that the good and bad events, good and bad, in one's life can increase stress levels and make one more susceptible to illness and mental health problems. I.e., there are certain life experiences we all go through. And they can be good, very good, as well as bad. But by our going through them, internally, the paradigm gets shifted. It can be shifted physically so that we become, we become more vulnerable to disease. It can be, become shifted emotionally so that uh, mental health becomes an issue or intellectually. Forty-three life experiences. And wouldn't you know it, at the very top, at the very top, 130 points. And the issue is how many of these, are points, these points you accumulate in 12 months. At the very top, the death of a child. There is no greater human loss. Death of a spouse is 30 points lower. Death of a child. That's how much your parents love you. That's how much you mean to your parents. If anything, God forbid, should happen to you. They will be devastated. Trust me. I know the parents for the rest of their lives. They will smile again, but always with a silver tear in the corner of that eye. I promise you. It's not all bad news. I mean, come on. It's good news. Even Christmas is on there. Christmas causes uh, stress. Marriage is on there. You get married. You know what? Marriage... It's not only hard on your health, it's hard on your wallet. I mean, it's just the, the, everything kind of comes together in marriage. And so we were rather excited. But it's wonderful. I'm telling you, it is wonderful. And so we were excited when we got back from our, uh, your break and found out that our son, Kirk, became engaged to the lovely Chelsea Knowlton. So oh, it's a good story. But here's what, it's, here's what struck me, because I, I, I went to the UCLA, web, um, got this from the UCLA website. Of these 43... Of these 43, 12 of them deal with the economy, deal with economic financial issues. Listen to this. Fired at work. Well, that would be, that would be significant. Fired at work. Retirement. You think retirement now is I'm just going to sit back. No, when you go into retirement, that's a stressful time because you're going through a change, see? Any change you go through opens you up to further change. That's the key to tuck away in your mind. Um, what, what's another one here? Business readjustments. Boy, there's going to be a lot of that happening now. Change in financial state. Oh, boy. That's for the whole human race. Change to a different line of work. People are losing their work. jobs. Our unemployment rate is going up in this nation. Uh, mortgage over, mortgage over $50,000. If in the last 12 months you took out a mortgage, over 50000 That's a major, major stress issue. Foreclosure of mortgage. That's what's happening to America right now. People losing their houses. That's huge stress. Wife begins or stops work. Trouble with a boss. Change in work hours or conditions. Loan less than $50,000. That would be a student. Loan less than $50,000 for one year. 
at stress. But here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. With all of this economic upheaval, do you know what happens? People are suddenly vulnerable and they're, they're, they're now available for major paradigm shifting. Not just in health, not just in uh, emotions, but intellectually as well. It's the perfect time for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to step in and say, I've got exactly what you're needing right now. Crisis always does that. So there's a story in Acts that we have got to give very careful attention to this morning in our continuing series. Because in this story are seven, count them, seven essential principles to effectively step in and become the agent of the Holy Spirit to create a paradigm shift for the Lord Jesus Christ. Seven of them. Open your Bible to this story. This is my other favorite story in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, our theme book for this series, Primetime. We're now moving deeper and deeper into the series, prime time. It's all about mobilizing a new generation to effectively communicate God's end-time truth to an end-time world. That's what this series is about. And I've said this to you university students over and over again. You are the prime time generation. And by the way, it's global. In Romania, the same way. In Romania, the same way. Wherever you are, if you're a young adult, you are prime time for God's strategic plan for this planet. All right, so we're going to Acts 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible right now. It's right in front of you. What's the page number in the Pew Bible? 739. Let me find it here. Got it right here. I'm in the Today's New International Version where this series is out of. You can have any translation you wish. Just glad you brought a Bible. Acts chapter 8. Oh, this is the great story. Philip and the Ethiopian. Don't you love that story? I do too. All right, verse 26. Let's read it together. Now, here we go. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. I've got to hit the pause button right there. Because Luke is huge on angels. Angel comes and tells Zachariah, you're going to have John the Baptist. Angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have Jesus. Angel comes to the shepherd and says, hey, shepherds, got great news for you. Luke loves angels. He doesn't invent the angels. He's very sensitive to angels. And they keep showing up. You know what? You've got to remember this because we're, we're, we're moving into a story about how to witness for your faith. Angels are our partners in witnessing. Every time you open your mouth to another human being and you want to say a word about Jesus, just let this little thought come to your mind. I have a guardian angel. That human being has a guardian angel. And those two angels are in collaboration. You are never outnumbered. You are never outnumbered. If there are ten people against you, there are ten angels with you. You are never outnumbered. Ever. Because the angels are always collaborating. So an angel comes to Philip and says, hey, Philip, go to the road south of Jerusalem. By the way, notice this. No instructions. He just says, go south to the road. That'd be a 50 mile highway through the desert. That desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip has no idea why he's going. But when you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, go, you go. Verse 27. So he started out and on his way. Oh, oh, maybe this is it. On his way, he met an Ethiopian. Now, I need to tell you about Ethiopia back then. When they talk about Ethiopia, it's not modern-day Ethiopia. It's all the land south of the first cataract of the mighty Nile River. Everything south of it. It ends up, it ends up in today's Ethiopia, but it could be anywhere along that stretch. So he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you know what a eunuch is. It's a male servant for a royalty castrated. All right? Now, there's some evidence that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all eunuchs as well. Not a very pleasant thought, but that's the way they had their royal servants back then. So this is an Ethiopian eunuch, all right? And he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury. 
Now, notice how my translation puts it. Of the Candake. Some of your Bibles say Candace. Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. But that's not true. That's actually a mistranslation. Because Candake, in the Greek, is, a, is, is the title, is the title of, a, of a line of royalty. Just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a title. Caesar. They had other names, but that's the title. Ptolemy. The Ptolemies. So the Candakes. It was a matriarchal society. They, it was a line of queens. We don't know her name. She was just one of the, of the Candakes. He works for her. He's the treasurer of the royal court. So he, he sees this official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's a believer. He has accepted Israel's God as his own. He's a proselyte. He believes in the creator God of the universe. He's gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way home. He is sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So his limousine is pulled off the road. The guy, the, the, the Shaded windows are all down because he wants a little bit of cross ventilation. Nobody's there. He's on his own. He's inside that stretched limo and he's reading the Bible. It's the scroll of Isaiah. And verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, Go. Go to that chariot. And you stay near that chariot, boy, and see what happens. Principle number one, there it is. Jot it down. Take your study guide, please. Quick, take that study guide. Seven principles. We're going to jot them all down for you. Thank you, ushers. Make sure that everybody here on the sanctuary floor, up in the balcony, and overflow, make sure everybody gets... I uh, hope the choir all has uh, study guides. Good. Those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. We want you to have the same study guide. You've got to jot these seven principles down. So go to our website. Put it on the screen for you. www. PM Church. You see it at the bottom of your screen. www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for the series Prime Time. This is part six in the series. If you didn't get the first five parts, they're all waiting for you right there with podcasts. But you're looking for the title today, Just Walk Across the Room. That's a book title. I'll talk about it in a moment. Click on there where it says Study Guide. You'll have the same study guide. Seven essential principles to guide us in effectively sharing the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go. Everybody got one? Principle number one, jot it down. Be open to the Spirit's impressions and promptings. Write that down. You're saying, Dwight, that's just one line there. Why didn't you put that in three lines? You know what? Because I finally got wise to you. Some of you coming up to me after church and saying, hey, listen, I've already figured out your study guide before you even get up. I figured out all the blanks and I got it. I said, all right, Sherry, this week, from now on, don't just one long line. Nobody will ever know what goes in that long line. Now they'll have to listen all the way through. That's what you get for bragging to me. (laughs) So write it down. Be open to the Spirit's impressions and promptings. Whether it's your angel or the Holy Spirit, it really doesn't matter. There are crucial moments in your day. There will be crucial moments in your week when God says, Hey, boy, girl, you're it right now. we got to have you. And now, be ready. Be open to the Spirit's impressions. Question. But how can I know for sure that right now is the right time? Answer. Would you jot this down? If, if, maybe this, maybe, is this the one that I'm supposed to do it to? Jot this down. Ask yourself what you think Jesus wants for this individual, to be saved or lost. Once you determine what Jesus wants for that individual, you say, duh, but of course that's the point. Of course he wants this individual saved. So if you're getting an impression right now, you're in a cafeteria, you're in a store, you're on a plane, and you're getting the impression you ought to say something, then you ought to say something. He wants this person saved. Trust me. 
In fact, would you jot it down, please? Jesus said it in the house of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Put it on the screen and fill it in, please. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The passion. You want, you want to know what turns heaven on? That's it. That's all they think about night and day. How do we save lost children? Because they're all kids to them. We're all children to heaven. I love this line. I have it written down in my Bible at Luke 15 for the parable of the lost uh, sheep and the lost coin and the lost boy. And we had Derek Nelson in chapel do a great job. Those of you in chapel, wasn't that a great chapel? Great chapel. He, he, he taught us out of that passage this week. Um, I love this. Christ Object Lessons. What's the page number 196? You have to fill it in. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner, Christ would have laid down his life, you may estimate the value of a soul. You don't have to wonder about the guy across the hall. Is Jesus interested in the guy across the hall? How about the neighbor across the street? You don't have to ask anymore. You know he would have died for one. That surely would include the person you're about, you know, you're not sure. Do I, do I not, do I? No. Question, but is this the right time? So you say, but hey, look at Dwight, is this really the right time? Answer, you'll never know. You can't know. In fact, jot this down. You may be one of a long line of witnesses. The God of the universe is needing to slowly but surely open up that individual to the influence of the Holy Spirit and the everlasting gospel of Christ. You have no idea where you are in this, in this string. Just be your link. Don't let that link down. You be it. Do you remember that college pastor in a nearby college I was telling you about a few times ago? Let me tell you about that college pastor. Let me show you all the contacts. First contact, he had some Seventh-day Adventist students in his class. They started talking to him. Contact number two, he goes, out of curiosity, he goes to the, uh, the Christian ABC bookstore here in town, and he meets Sarah Sink. He says, give me some books. She, gets, she sells some books to him. Contact number three, students say, you ought to come to church sometime. He shows up on Easter Sabbath. I meet him. Contact number four, we have Bible studies together. Contact number five, I have no idea who contact number five is. It's immaterial to me. All I need to be is there when my moment comes. God will weave a golden chain to just draw that that heart to eternal life if we'll all just be the little link. You don't have to be great in this link. You may have a very small part. Who cares? Just be there for Him. All right. Yeah, but how do you know? Come on, Dwight. I'm just really not sure that uh, this, this, this witnessing is really my gift. Oh, would you write this down, please? It may not be your gift, but it certainly is your role. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got a letter from a mother here who has kids in college here. She says, you know something, Pastor, please. I mean, you know, all kids are not, are not uh, extroverts and able to just chat, 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 chat. I understand that. I understand that. But would you write this down in response? God has not made us all evangelists. He has not made us all evangelists, but He has called us all to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we've already looked at this in, in, in the series. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you receive power and you, I promise, I promise you, Jesus says, you will be my witness. You just will be. Everybody, the shyest, most introverted human being on earth may be the one strategic link that will get that person across. Don't you ever say, it can't be me helping God on this one. In fact, Bill Hybels, in his book, Just Walk Across the Room, from whence comes this uh, sermon title. Uh, You see that in your study guide? I love this. He wrote, God made you exactly as you are. He wired you and gave you the temperament and the experience, bashful as you are, and the background that you have. He wanted your daddy to be your daddy and your mama to be your mama. He chose them all for you because it would produce only you. 
There's nobody else like you on this planet. He wanted someone just like you in this world right now, today, in this generation. Hey, listen. He says, memorize all 24 verses of Psalm 139 where it says, David says, you wired me when I was still in my mother's womb. You wired me. You are what you are because God wanted you to be what you are. If you don't believe it, read, memorize Psalm 139 if you have to, but don't lose sight of the intentionality God poured into his blueprint for you. Oh, I like that. Okay, so that was principle number one. Let's find principle number two now. Go back to the story. Let's pick it up in verse 29. And so the Spirit told Philip, Philip, go to the chariot. Stay near the chariot. He didn't tell him what to say. He didn't say a word. Just says, you go, go near that chariot. And verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Luckily, the limousine windows are down. So he can hear the guy reading aloud inside. And he says, I just heard you reading. Do you understand what you're reading? See, he just responded to that moment. That's principle number two. Would you write it down, please? Be willing to walk across the road or room. That's what Philip did. He walked across the road. Spirit said, this is your moment. Go. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just go. You'll figure it out. And he went. In other words, make yourself available to that individual that the Spirit is impressing you about. Hey, listen. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. You have, no, you have no idea where this will go. But if you don't go, you will never know. Write it down. you got to go. I don't know what's going to turn out. Turn out to be a zero, but who cares? I did my little part. Don't worry about it. Getting all Twitter-pated about, oh, i got to do something big. Forget it. Just do your part. Bill Hybels tells the story of a tall African-American Muslim who came to know Christ because of the action of a stranger at a cocktail party. All right. This is in the Deep South, by the way. And uh, these businessmen are all together, except one businessman standing off by himself. He's been to these things. He knows how it is. Nobody's going to talk to him anyways. He's standing in that corner. There was a man, a stranger, in a circle with his colleagues. And they're talking and laughing. And you know how it is in the cafeteria. You get a whole table full of people and there's one guy sitting all alone. Nobody cares about that girl over there. You know how it goes, don't you? So they're having this time. And this guy happened to turn around. And he saw that tall African-American standing there. Turns out he was a Muslim. And he made a decision on the spot. On the spot. And Hybels, that's what you have in your study guide. The spirit living inside of him. You see it there? Caused him to feel such compassion for the man standing alone that he excused himself from a circle of comfort. Write that in. Because we all have these circles of comfort where these are, my, these are my friends. I know that I am accepted right here. It's great to have a circle of comfort. There's nothing wrong with it. You just have to get out of it. He excused himself from a circle of comfort. He made the turn to the other side of the room and he started walking in the direction of a place I call the zone of the unknown. I have no idea what's going to happen now. I me tell you what, if you like living on the edge, this is a great way to live. Zone of the unknown. He had resolved in his heart, and I love this, probably praying every step of the way, God, I'm going to meet this guy. I have no idea who he is. Just take this moment and do something. Do something, please. Praying the whole way over. He had resolved to enter the zone and see what God might do. And Heibel's commenting, now, in my opinion, it's within this zone that God does his very best work. And that story, which was shared to him, became the metaphor for his book, Just Walk Across the Room. You just got to walk across the room. <laughs> do what the stranger did. Do what Philip did. Obey the promptings of the Spirit. Take a step out of your circle of comfort. Just get out of it. Walk into the zone of the unknown. You'll be all right. You won't die. 
You may be exactly what the Spirit was waiting for that day because you were obedient. By the way, may I remind you, that's exactly what Jesus did. He is in the throne room of the universe. And boy, were we singing today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Justin and Justin. Were we singing today. He's in the throne room. He is the, he is the subject of every ballad, every poem, every song in the universe. They're singing about him. He is the number one star and hero of all the galaxies. But one day he stood up from his throne. He said, I can't, I can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't live here. And he walked across the room of the universe to a rebel planet, the zone of the unknown. The greatest risk any being has ever taken in the history of the universe. And he became one with the human race. That's what he did. I carry these words written a century ago by Ellen White. I carry them in the back of my Bible. And you have them in your study guide now. Look, isn't this something? The same devotion, the same self-sacrifice, the same subjection to the claims of the Word of God that were manifest in the life of Christ must be seen in the lives of His witnesses. That would be you and me. He left His home of security and peace. He left the glory He had with the Father. He left His position on the throne of the universe. He went forth a suffering, tempted man. He went forth in solitude to sow in tears, to water with His blood the seed of life for a lost world. In like manner, you and me as witnesses, we are to go forth to sow. The warning message for a crisis time is to be carried to all parts of the world. Just walk across the room. Cross the streets. Cross the country. Go around the world. doesn't matter. Just go. 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 In this hour of economic instability and financial uncertainty, when people now are going through such life-change units, just boom, 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 that they are wide open to the gospel of Jesus, the everlasting gospel. Oh, boys, don't put it off. Please go. Cross the street. Cross the cafeteria. Cross the backyard fence. Just get over to him. Get over to her. All right? Here's, here's uh, principle number three. We need to read verse uh, 30 here. Read it again. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. Scribble this down, will you? Questions. Write it down. Questions are a very effective way to gain someone's attention and open up conversation. We'll get back to that other blank. Don't worry about it. Questions. Questions. Do you understand what you're reading? Hey, can you believe the economy these days? Hey, tell me, who's going to win the World Series? Hey, can I borrow, can I borrow your ladder? All it takes is a question. A question is the most engaging form of human conversation there is. Because the moment you ask a question, somebody's going to give an answer. So we're flying back from Romania, and here's this guy... It turns out he's an engineer. He's reading these scholarly journal articles. They've all been photocopied. And I'm looking at the titles, you know, nanoseconds and photons. And I finally said, what is it you're reading? Folks, this isn't something cutesy or clever you do. You just use a question like Philip. Do you understand what you're reading here? Just ask a question. It invites the individual to respond. So here's the principle. Write it down. Now, principle three, be ready to take the initiative. You don't always have to use a question. Philip did. You can come up with something else. Hey, I made you a batch of cookies. Well, what's wrong with that? It's an entree. No, it's not an entree, is it? In my diet, it would be an entree. But in your diet, it's a dessert. But you know what I mean by entree? Entry? All right. No, that's what I meant. That's really what I meant. And you, you thought you heard it the other way. See, you've got to be able to ask questions. Like, Dwight, what did you really mean by that? All right. 
You're saying, Dwight, I'm not an expert in any of this. I can't take the initiative. You know, here, here's one you can do. Here's, here's what you can do this week. Hey, have you ever seen one of these? That's all you have to say. Have you ever? Did you get one of these? They say, yes, I got one. Fine. They say, no. Hey, I got one for you. You can have it. What's it about? It's Mark Finley. Discover 08, beginning Friday night. Satellite event right here. Big screen. I want to invite you to come. You got to come. See, you just ask a question. Did you get one of these? It's not hard. They say no, you give it to them. They say yes. Well, yeah, yeah, you invite it. That's it. Just ask a question. So, but you know, Dwight, I'm just not an expert in this. <laughs> please. You don't have to be an expert, please. Witnessing, would you jot this down, please? Witnessing is not about your ability. It's about your availability. Who cares what you can do? If you've got a mouth, you can do it. You just have to be available. That's all it is. Take the initiative when the Spirit prompts you. All right, let's go to, let's find principle number four. Uh, verse 30, read that again. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? He wisely asked. How can I? The man shoots back, verse 31, unless someone explains it to me. So he invites, hey, Philip, come on in. Sir, come into my, come into my limousine here. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. The glorious Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the eunuch looked straight into this stranger's face, this guy that just walked across the road and is now on in his limousine. And he says, hey, did this prophet, tell me please, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? I just, I want to know. And then verse 35, I love this, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Ah, there it is. Principle number four, write it down. Be prepared to answer a question. Be prepared to answer a question. Raise a question to get, to, to get the engage, a conversation going. Engage the conversation. But be prepared to answer. That's precisely what Philip was ready to do. And by the way, in so doing, he adds a very important dimension to witnessing that we don't think about. Because here, here, here's how you and I think of witnessing. Traditionally, we think of witnessing as giving your testimony. Remember our last teaching together, turning your story into his story. Giving your testimony to someone who does not believe. And we think that means atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers. Those are the people you witness to. Now, don't miss two weeks from now when we begin a little two-parter inside this series, How to Witness to an Atheist. I hope that will be helpful for you. But we're wrong. Witnessing is not only about atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers. In fact, the Ethiopian already believes in the true God of the universe. He already has the Bible. He's reading the Bible. So it's not like, oh, there's a Bible. No, he's already into it. Which leads me to conclude that even Christians, would you jot this down, please? Even Christians... No, I left one out. Just before, witnessing is also sharing the good news about Jesus with someone who is seeking to understand Scripture more clearly. That's also witnessing. Now get to the one I wanted to get to. Even Christians can be witnessed to so that they discover deeper truths about Jesus in the Bible, truths they never knew or studied before. Now, if you stuck around for the break, Pastor Skip last week masterfully dealt with this issue of can you witness to somebody who's already a believer? But, of course, he made the case airtight. I'm simply reaffirming his point. I wasn't here. I was in Romania. But he sent me his notes. I read it. Yep. Perfect. That's why we need to be prepared as Philip was. 
to respond to somebody who says, you know what, I, I was hoping somebody come by right now. I have a question about the Bible. I know that makes you want to feel, that makes you feel like panicking, doesn't it? Boy, they, what do you think I am? A Bible, Bible answer man? Bible answer woman? I am no authority in the Bible. Of course you're not. You don't have to be. But don't forget our theme text. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Fill it in. 1 Peter 3, 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You say, but look, at I, I, I'm just a student, please. Just a student? Are you serious? Jot this one down. Christ desires to... This. Use every student. Words written a hundred years ago. Christ desires to use every student as his agent. If you're a student, hallelujah, because you're an agent for Christ. You are an agent for the Most High God. Don't you ever apologize for being a student. Your prime time. Ah, but you know what, Dwight? I'm not going to know what to say. Let me pass along two recommendations to you. Number one, please take our Contagious Adventist Seminar. We're going through it the first time right now. Too late. Can't get into it now. But we're going to, I'm going to ask that we offer it before the school year's over one more time. I want you to have a chance to take it. The whole purpose of the seminar is to equip you, to give you the ability, the wherewithal, to be able to intelligently discuss some of the great themes of the Holy Scripture. You don't have to get a doctor to do this. You just need a little bit of coaching. And we want to coach you. But here's my second recommendation. Never forget this verse. This is a dynamite verse. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 in the New Living Translation. Fill this in. I tell you what, this verse comes to mind at times when I am desperate. I say, God, you've got to help me right now. And it, look at this promise. Jesus speaking these words. Don't worry about what to say in your defense. For the Holy Spirit will teach you what needs to be said even as you are standing there on the spot. I could tell you story after story after story, but let me tell you probably the most famous story of all. His name was Nehemiah. He was a Jewish exile, also serving royalty. One day, the angry king, because this king was mercurial in his uh, personality. Oh, boy. You never know how the king's going to react. One day, the king said, hey, you look like you're downhearted. Oh, you're never supposed to be downhearted in the presence of the glorious son of the universe. (sighs) What's the problem? Nehemiah says, how can I be happy when the city that I came from is in is in shambles. The king says, what can I do for you? And just like that, just like that, he realizes, I have to know what to say right now. And so the shortest prayer in all the scriptures, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. And that was it. Boom, boom. That's the shortest prayer in the Bible. Boom, boom. You know how long that prayer was? Four letters. H-E-L-P. Help. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. God says, I was hoping you'd ask. That's why Jesus said, I got the Spirit here. You got help? You need, you. And Nehemiah says what he never would have said if he hadn't prayed. He asked for way more than prudence would have told him to. He just blew the bank account. But the Spirit said, this would be a good time to do it. Boom, and he got it. Yeah, proving true, Jesus' words. While you're standing there, you get the answer. All right, let's look at principle five. There are only seven of these. Principle five, let's read verse 35 again. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Here it is, principle five. Be mindful of the context of that moment and conversation. Do not be like the presidential candidates in their debates. Moderator asks a question. He says one word, just one word, sounding like he's going to answer the question, and into that campaign speech. All of them rehearse campaign speeches over and over again. Forget it. You can't do that. 
If somebody asks a question about Isaiah 53, then you're going to have to answer about Isaiah 53. That's exactly what Philip, Philip did. He began. He began in the context of the questioner. If somebody asks you about the Sabbath, then you talk about the Sabbath. You don't say, well, five conversations from now, I'll tell you about the seventh-day Sabbath. No, I want to know right now. Help. And then speak. That's all you do. You have to stay within the context. You can do like Philip, keep growing it, as Philip did masterfully. But stay in the context. Don't apologize. Okay, let's find principle number six, verse 36. And as they traveled along the road, so the limousine is now driving down the road. I mean, they did, they, he's driving now, and Philip is talking. They're, they're visiting in the, in the back. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders through the glass window, knocked on it, stop. The chauffeur pulled over. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. By the way, that's how it's done always in the Bible. You're not sprinkled as a baby. You're not sprinkled as an adult. The very Greek word means you do it just like Jesus did. You go down under the water with someone with you. Someone will baptize you. Always in the New Testament. It's the only, it's only one baptism. That's it. So they went down in the water. And oh, then they come up. And I wish you could have seen the face of that Ethiopian. It was radiant. Principle six, write it down. Be focused on the ultimate goal of every witness, the salvation of the individual through baptism into Christ. Good leaders know that you must always lead with the end in view. You always have to see the end because it's tough going until you get to the end sometimes. Very tough going. But if you hold on to that vision, you can get through anything. You know what the end is for you? It's that glorious moment when that man, that woman, that young adult, that teenager that you were a link in comes up out of that baptistry absolutely resplendent with joy. I, 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 you just have to trust me on this one. There is no greater joy. I mean, that's as high, as, that's as high adrenaline as you can get. More than any roller coaster in the United States. That is better than any food. You love good food? That is, that is more delectable than any food. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus after the woman at the well, and she got saved, and they said, Hey, Lord, we got your, we have your little brown bag now. And Jesus said, I've already eaten. They said, How could you have already eaten? He said, I've eaten food you don't know anything about. When you see a soul saved, and that soul comes up out of that baptistry, I'm telling you what, you will live for the day when you can stand again and your eyes glistening and your heart beating and you're standing up on that right there at that pew and you're watching what's happening. It doesn't get any better than that. In fact, those, the, the little classic steps to Christ. You have it in your study guide there. Oh, I love this. God might have committed the message of the Gospel and all the work of loving ministry to the heavenly angels. You think about it. Couldn't the angel have gone, Hey, I'll go. Stay right there, Philip. Sleep in this morning. You need an extra day. I'll go. I know where that road is. No. Nope. The angel said, hey, you go. Why is God so big? He could do the whole thing Himself. Look at this. He might have employed other means for accomplishing His purpose, but in His infinite love. It's not like God says, I hate witnessing. I just hate it. Will somebody else do it? Hey, will you do it for me? I just don't like doing this stuff. Are you kidding? It's out of love that He says, No. I'm going to let you do what I love to do 24-7. You're going to have my heart. And by the way, if you don't have the Father's heart, you're never going to the Father's house. Trust me. 
You have to have his heart before you go to his home. That's a key. And that's why things are taking a long time down below. When are you going to have my heart? A little more, it'd be an economic crisis and he'll get our attention. You just watch. He'll get our attention. I've got to let those toys go now. guess I can't have that anymore. Don't need it. Work for me, boy. I need you. Oh, isn't this great? So, but in His infinite love, He chose to make us co-workers with Himself, with Jesus Christ, with the angels, that we might share the... Here's the whole point. That we might share the blessing, the joy, the spiritual uplifting, which results from this unselfish ministry. God says, you've got to do it. You've got to do it with me. You'll never be happier in your life. Finally, number seven. Verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, boy, I wish I could have been on this hitchhiking ride. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, gone, Philip is gone. Just like that. Took him away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And guess what? That eunuch became a new witness for the whole Candake royal community. And Philip, verse 40, however, appeared in Absutus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Write it down. Principle 7, be ready to turn right around and do it all over again. You don't take a vacation after you've won someone to Jesus. You say, give me more. Who else can I find for the Master? That's why Jesus, once upon a time, he makes clear this, this moment in, in Philip's story. Jesus said, to everyone who has more... To everyone who has, more will be given. That's it. That's why, you know, the Holy Spirit is a brilliant businessman. We're going through this economic uh, challenging time now. But the Holy Spirit knows, if I want my investment to be multiplied, will I give it to the guy who keeps taking what I give him and immediately multiplies it? Or will I give it to the one who gets it and then just hoards it and never does a thing with it? This is not Economics 101. This is prior to that. And that is, the one that's doing the investing keeps getting the opportunities. Some people say, you know, there's just some, some men, some women just have a knack for this. They don't have a knack for it. It's not a knack. They just keep taking what God gives them. And he says, boy, get, give that girl more. Wouldn't you do that? But of course you would. To, to, to him, to her who has, more will be given. Ah, oh, seize the moment you have. Don't sit on it. So what do you say you and I begin every day this way, with this prayer? Fill it in. This is the last fill it in here. Every day, humble, simple prayer. Oh God, today, I offer to you my life and my witness. Send to me or send me to someone who needs to know Jesus and his truth. Amen. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, you pray that prayer every day and you will experience the unbridled joy that led God to give you the opportunity in the first place. He said nothing will make you happier than this. Nothing will fill your heart more than this. There they are. Seven essential principles for stepping into the paradigm shifting economic crisis that we are in and taking advantage of it and saying, I got just what your heart is now ready for. Take advantage of it. Seven principles. Take it home. Meditate. Brood on it. Don't, don't lose those seven. I want to end with a story. I heard this story some years ago. But when we were in Romania last week and we were in the infamous... Saget prison of the former dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu. You've heard, you, you, you've heard of him, all right? Communist penitentiary. As I was going into one of the rooms, I said, ah, I forgot all about that story. I'm going to tell it to you right now. 
I'm going to give you a picture or two on the screen here. I mean, this is, a, this is like going to Dachau. I mean, when you realize that the intellectuals, the artists, the politicians, the clergy, the people who were educated were rounded up by the communists and incarcerated there, dying in that prison. I mean, it's about as somber as it comes, like Dachau or wherever. The walls covered with the pictures of those who paid the supreme sacrifice for that repressive regime. So they, they've turned every cell into a museum piece. Now, there's a typical cell. Look at that. And by the way, it was against the law to look out that window. They finally covered the windows up. Against the law to look out that window. One of the rooms I went into was dedicated to the clergy. So I'm particularly interested in that. And I said, hey, Karen, come here. Look at this. Here, I know this man. I got a book in my library. And I want you to see the picture. There he is right there. I saw his picture. I said, I have a book in my library called... Um, Sermons in Solitary Confinement. And then I remembered, I've met him. I'm going to tell you the story. We were, I was flying out to L.A. to preach one weekend. I thought it was a nonstop flight, but for some reason they landed in Denver. And we had to get off and change equipment. So I got off. I saw two clergy in front of me. All right, so the guy, one guy has his white collar on, and the other with his bushy black beard and a little black cap. I know he's an Orthodox priest, and they are in, they are in serious conversation. I said, oh man, I'm one of them. I'm going to go and meet them. No, seriously, that's exactly what I said. So I watched them go into the waiting lounge there, and they sat down, and there was an empty chair in front of them. So I sat down in that empty chair, and you've done this, haven't you? You sit down in the chair, and then you lean way back to hear what's happening behind you. <laughs> and when I leaned back to hear what was happening behind me, I said, oh, no, they're speaking in tongues. I cannot understand this at all. Finally, the bushy-bearded Orthodox priest got up and left. That's my moment. I turn around, and I say to the man, in what language was that you were speaking? And he said in fluent English, he said Romanian. I said, oh, really? I said, listen, this is my moment. I'm a minister, too. He said, you are? What church? Now, you know. <laughs> you know that if they ever ask you what church you belong to, you square yourself around. No, you... you, you. <laughs> You square yourself around, you throw your shoulders back, you take a deep breath, and you lock in on those eyes because you want to watch the face afterwards. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And then you watch the reaction. Oh, he said, I, I have known Adventists. I knew some Adventists who were in prison. I thought to myself, I can't believe it. All my luck, I'm meeting a prison chaplain who knew Adventist crooks. Tell me, please. No, 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 he said. No, 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 no. He said, I knew them when we were in prison together. Turns out I had just met for the first time the author of the book in my library, Richard Vermbrand, the great Lutheran pastor of Romania. So I was, he was incarcerated in that Seget penitentiary. He said, oh, I said, he said, he said, by the way, he said, son, I'm, I'm thirsty. Would you mind uh, taking me to get a drink, get some water? He said, let me hold on to your arm. He has since died. He's probably in his late 70s then. He took my arm and we walked down the crowded concourse. And he began to tell me the story. He said, oh, I know you Adventists. He said, you know what? You Adventists tithed when you were in prison. And I thought, oh, man, that's kind of extreme. Tithing in prison? Please. He said, no, 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 no. Every week, and I read this on one of the walls, so I know it's true. Every week, we were given one stale, crusty, 
piece of bread each. But you Adventists, out of your devotion to God, would tie that piece of bread and give it to a more hungry prisoner. And I thought to myself, oh mercy, how many of us don't even tithe at all? And they're tithing their bread crusts for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Mercy. He said, oh no, I got to know you Adventists in prison. In fact, he says, you know what? We always knew when the seventh day came because of you Adventists. And I thought, you know, I don't mind witnessing them for my, for my faith, but to really, I mean, call out, Sabbath's here, Sabbath's here. It just, it doesn't feel right. Said, no, 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 he said, it wasn't that. We always knew it was the seventh day of the week because we would hear the seventh day Adventists beginning to scream through their beatings for refusing to work again on the Holy Sabbath. We knew it must be, the, must be the Sabbath. The Adventists are being beaten again. And I thought to myself, I walk into this church, there's nobody to stop me. Nobody, nobody to put up any resistance. I sit down here until I'm ready to leave and then I leave. And here were these Romanian Seventh-day Adventist Christians refusing to dishonor Jesus. I'll not work. Even if you kill me, I will not work. And so they beat him instead. I tell you what, when I walked out of that penitentiary and that story came back to my mind, I said in my heart, Oh God, I beg of you, give me the legacy of these Romanian Seventh-day Adventist Christians and may I be faithful with my witness unto death, please. Richard Wormbrand never forgot Till he died, the witness of those Seventh-day Adventist Christians in prison with him. We, too, have been called to witness to our lives. Jesus said, look, if the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. You will be my witnesses. I don't know about you, but I want to fulfill Christ's promise. Let me do the fulfilling of your promise, Jesus. Let me fulfill it. Let me be that witness. Let me be that witness for you. You want to be a witness for Him? You want to pray that prayer every morning? I know there will be some mornings we forget it, but you know, God, today, send, send me to or send to me someone for whom I can share you, share the Lord Jesus. If you'd like to claim that legacy, join me in standing. And by standing, you say, no, I want to do that too, Dwight. Dwight, you're not going to do it alone. I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you.